Welcome to the Baptist Health Doc to Doc podcast, a conversation for physicians by physicians, providing insight on the latest in medical practice, research, technology, and innovation in healthcare. Join Baptist Health experts as they offer practical advice for clinicians covering a wide range of specialties. Cancer, neuroscience, orthopedics, and cardiovascular care are just some of the timely discussions you'll find right here on the Doc to Doc podcast. Hi, I'm Anna Sandoval Leon. I'm a breast medical oncology at the Miami Cancer Institute. I see patients uh, with breast cancer and discuss systemic treatment. And I also see patients that have high risk of developing breast cancer and discuss increased uh, screening and chemo prevention. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Jane Mendes. I'm the Chief of Breast uh, Oncology at um, Miami Cancer Institute. I perform all surgeries related to breast cancer and also advise patients with high-risk conditions about potential strategies uh, to prevent breast cancer. And we're here today with a very important task uh, to discuss breast cancer in younger women. So you hear from Dr. Sandoval and myself some issues that make this a very unique topic that we thought deserves special attention. So Dr. Sandoval, go ahead. So um, we have recently seen an increase in the number of younger patients who are developing breast cancer. And I know there was recently a publication in JAMA uh, talking about this topic. I think, Jane, you have discussed this in detail in the past. Yeah, so this was an interesting study, which included over 56,000 uh, patients. Uh, it took a course over uh, from 2010 to 2019. And interestingly, they were able to show in this study that there was an increase in younger um, individuals being diagnosed with uh, cancer in general. And breast cancer was at the top at their least uh, in the female uh, patients. And interestingly, 21% of that increase was seen in Hispanic women, while in Black or African-American patients, it was a lower incidence as compared to other groups. So this is definitely an interesting study that's going to really provocatively uh, lead to further investigation because we need to consider, now that we have this information, that we need to change our guidelines for potential screening or other issues will also be part of our conversation today. So I think that sets the stage perfectly to really hone in breast cancer in younger women because of this increase uh, over the past few years. So I guess uh, some of the differences that we see with younger patients compared with older patients one is uh, that many of them are, are still in reproductive age. So whenever we see a young patient, it's extremely important to discuss about fertility preservation. Uh, don't think that uh, they are going to ask you. Sometimes they're not aware of how treatment can affect their fertility. So as medical oncologists and breast surgeons, uh, we always have this discussion in clinic. How do you approach these patients uh, when you see them? That's a very important question. See, depending on the age, you know, some of these women have never had any children that are nulliparous. So I first get an idea whether they're interested in possible childbearing in the future. And we have a great service of oncology preservation here at Miami Cancer Institute. And I will send the patient for that referral. 
but it's really important as the part of the multidisciplinary approach to breast cancer, specifically in this group, to really uh, get an idea how they would like to proceed with that childbearing and possibility of uh, fertility preservation. Not all patients are interested in it, but I think it is our duty as a medical providers to have the options for the patient. And um, there have been a study showing that uh, delaying for a few weeks uh, the treatment is probably safe in these patients. So in general, if the patient wants to have a kid, we refer them, as Jane mentioned, to our fertility preservation clinic, and then they are assessed by fertility specialists. And if they want to indeed have fertility preservation, they will have um, their treatments, the, the retrievals and everything prior to therapy. Um, sometimes uh, prior to surgery, but many times these, the patients um, are going to go into chemotherapy and then we have to do this uh, prior to that. Um, we also, as medical oncologists, can give them uh, ovarian suppression uh, during the treatment uh, with chemotherapy, and that has shown to decrease the risk of infertility. So not only they go to fertility preservation, but we also give them a therapy to try to preserve the ovarian function despite uh, the chemotherapy. And actually, Anna, a very important component of this fertility preservation conversation is also how young was the patient when they developed the breast cancer? Because when it's somebody in their 20s, they still have ample opportunity to have kids in the future. So it's a very different conversation where you're ready in your mid-30s. And as you know, the recommendation is not to try to have children or get pregnant at least for five years after the duration of the treatment, but they already be in their 40s. So in that patient group, it's a little bit different of the conversation because of their ticking clocks and the challenge that we have with that. So in that specific group, that's when I've experienced the most difficulty because they oftentimes want to have children. We have to advise them that at least five years would be ideal. But if they cannot do the five years, that's when we start the negotiation process, perhaps two years after completion of the treatment pursue with the pregnancy, and then resume treatment thereafter. But that, as, as you know, oncologists, we have to have that as part of our armamentarium, and it takes a lot of conversation and understanding with the patient and their wishes. Would you agree? Yes, um, I agree. And, and then we get this question frequently, if it's safe to get pregnant after treatment, um, so to answer the question, there was a study published recently in the New England Journal of Medicine looking at patients with hormone receptor positive breast cancer who are usually on endocrine therapy uh, for five to 10 years after um, their diagnosis to decrease the risk of recurrence and decrease the mortality. Um, as many of us known, um, you cannot get pregnant while you are on endocrine therapy is contraindicated. Um, uh, usually with you, you may be in ovarian suppression and you technically cannot be, get pregnant, but you're on tamoxifen, you can still get pregnant, but it's uh, teratogenic. So um, the study was looking uh, to see if it was safe uh, to get uh, pregnant uh, in, uh, after giving a break of this endocrine therapy. So uh, basically they enroll uh, over 500 patients uh, with hormone receptor positive early stage uh, breast cancer um, while well, they were under adjuvant therapy. Um, patients were younger, um, were 42 years or younger, 
and had received 18 to 30 months of adjuvant, adjuvant therapy. So around two years of adjuvant endocrine therapy. And they uh, temporarily stopped the treatment to attempt a uh, pregnancy. And they followed them up for around 3.4 years. So it's an early uh, follow-up. Breast cancer can recur many, many years after. But uh, this study was looking at uh, if it's safe and if there is not a much higher risk of recurrences early if you stop uh, endocrine therapy uh, to get pregnant. And they found out uh, that around 70% of these women were able to become pregnant because they were trying to uh, become pregnant. And it was safe. So it seems that there was uh, not an increased risk of developing a recurrence in these uh, short-term uh, follow-up. Uh, of if patients stop endocrine therapy after uh, receiving two years. So what I usually counsel my patients is, if you want to get pregnant, wait at least two years. If they wait more, probably it's better, uh, but it's probably safe. And they stop the endocrine therapy for two years. They had to resume afterwards. Um, as I mentioned, it's a very short follow-up and patients can have recurrences of breast cancer many, many years after. But at least we we have this option for patients that are really eager to have kids. But I'd like to emphasize how important it is that it's a conversation. And we have to individualize the treatment for the patients, irrespective of their age. But in these younger patients, this is a very important part of the their their life. And a lot of them haven't even had any children, they haven't had any family, and knowing that they have these options. It's very important for them to know because this diagnosis changes their life. I like to move gears a little bit, Anna, and I think it's important also to, in this patient population, talk about the issues of genetics. Because the younger you are when you get diagnosed with breast cancer, the higher the likelihood of having a genetic predisposition. And that not only has treatment implications, but also implications for prevention if any other cancers uh, would be involved with that specific mutation. So do you want to embark upon a little bit about that topic? Uh, sure. So um, patients that are younger have more probability that their cancer is related to a gene. Uh, most cancers are not going to be uh, due to a genetic um, abnormality. But in general, patients that are uh, younger than 50 or 60 should have genetic testing to determine if there was a gene um, involved in their uh, breast cancer. So we have an excellent uh, genetic service at the Miami Cancer Institute. So we will always um, discuss this with patients and advise them to have genetic testing. Uh, once we put the referral, they will see a genetics specialist. They will go over the different test results. Now we have different genetic panels with a different number of genes, and they can consult them more in depth and determine which is the best genetic panel for that specific patient. You know, the importance of this information is if, if we identify genetic retention, just recently did with a 36-year-old uh, who I had seen, she really wanted to be able to preserve her breast, but she turned out to have a check to mutation, which is one of the actionable breast cancer-related mutations. And all of a sudden, though she wanted to rehearse her breast, the recommendation was for her to have bilateral mastectomy with bilateral reconstruction. So certainly that's what was the recommendation. Patient ultimately has a choice, but it's important, especially in this patient group, to really eliminate any genetic predisposition 
that will then impact their recovery. And it's very, uh, now we have a lot of genetic testing capabilities, their genetic panels. And if the patient is identified to have any of the genetic mutations, then we also can act on preventing any other associated cancer. For example, with the BRCA1 or BRCA2, which are the most prevalent, we also have to counsel them about ovarian cancer. And that's a whole different conversation. And we have an excellent service here at GYN Oncology, who then could also help that patient. So how about the social component, Anna? When you get older, you expect to get sick. When you're 21 or you're early 30s, getting a breast cancer diagnosis can be extremely daunting. So I'll obviously I'll let you start first about the impact that you see in the patients when they're so young. So uh, yes, that's completely true. You don't not only have the psychological, psychosocial component, but also many of these patients due to our treatments will have uh, problems with sexuality. And that can be a big issue. And many times we don't discuss in clinic and many times patients don't bring this um, to our attention. So as a medical oncologist and as providers in general, I think we should ask proactively if the patient is having issues um, with their sexuality. Uh, many of these therapies and the chemotherapy can cause um, early menopause. Uh, it, they can cause symptoms of the endocrine therapy can cause vaginal dryness, decreased libido, mood swings that can affect their daily life and their interactions with their partners. Uh, so we also have a, our um, services for psychology and psychiatry if needed, but we also have a, a clinic for sexual dysfunction when they can look in more detail. And there are many medications that are non-hormonal that can be given for these patients. Yeah, so important, Anna, because we cannot forget the psychosocial community. It's part of the holistic approach. And as you mentioned, we have all these services here at MCI that can really take a look at the whole picture. I'll tell you, I just operated on a young woman, 35. When I first met her, I noticed that she was steered from the beginning. I hadn't even started talking. Go to find out that this was July, and she's having a destination wedding in Greece in September. So I have two months to treat her cancer. Certainly that played a very important role in her decision-making. She did not want to have a mastectomy because of the reconstructive process and how long it would take. And she had everything done, 60 guests expecting this wedding, destination wedding in two months. So we had to work with her. I mean, and that's in this patient population, it's something that life must go on before treatment and after treatment. And the psychological, psychosocial is a very important. How do you integrate back to life, even after the treatment? Because one part is the survivorship part of it that I think is a lot harder the younger you are. So what have you seen from your standpoint as a medical oncologist? I do have many of these uh, young patients. Uh, but as I mentioned before, I think their main issue in general is their their sexuality many times, and they don't they don't necessarily discuss this unless you ask them. Um, another issue that they have many young patients because they have so many more years are very concerned of a recurrence in the contralateral breast. So I know you probably have a lot of these discussions with patients. So how do you counsel them regarding prophylactic mastectomies if they don't have a 
breast cancer, I mean, a genetic susceptibility. <laughs> and then uh, how do you approach about the potential um, problems after having a mastectomy? You know, that is a very challenging uh, question. But for the most part, we know that in the absence of a genetic mutation, the contralateral mastectomy does not confer a survival advantage. Uh, so if the genetic testing is negative and we have really ruled out the genetic predisposition, then it's really a very long, long conversation with each patient about what their choice might look like. But if I had to say, I would say that 95% of the patients in this group will choose to have a contralateral mastectomy, even in the absence of a genetic mutation, for a myriad of reasons. I guess, number one, and they because I've asked all the patients, why? Why do you choose to have that when you know it's not going to confer a survival advantage? And the number one answer that I've been given over the past 30 years has been peace of mind. Even though we know that it doesn't confer zero probability of the cancer coming back, certainly they feel that it's the best choice for them as that many, many years ahead of their life to worry about a potential cancer on the other breast. So that's a personal choice. Second um, reason that I've heard, they are so worried about a cancer on the other breast that they really don't want to worry about it. You know, the continued breast imaging over time and not knowing how they're going to do. They just want to move on with their life. So, but it's a very long conversation and it's very individualized. And in this group, I've been surprised a couple of times, patients have decided to go flat and not have any reconstruction, have both their breasts removed, nor reconstruction. So it's a really wide spectrum of options, wide spectrum of personalities. But what I'm so happy here at Miami Cancer that we can provide for all the patients, the whole multidisciplinary approach to help them beat their breast cancer so, and survive and strive through it after completion of the treatment. And paying close attention as part of the holistic approach, what are their interests? What are the patient's wishes? What can we do given the tumor biology so we can help them through that journey? from all the different aspects to get them to hopefully a long life ahead. And as you know, with early detection, that is very possible. You know, like 99% survival at 10 years if we detected early. So I think part of the message here has been that if you're a young woman and you feel some, a lump or any abnormality in your breast, go evaluate it. Go seek medical attention so that it's not um, it's not assumed that it's something benign when it could be a malignancy and we could obviously have something to offer. So what is the message that you sent to this patient? Because the youngest patient I've seen was 21 years old. I saw her for a second opinion because she had come in a six-month follow-up on a, on a mass that they thought was benign. I said, it's so easy to do the biopsy. We can get it done and you have a diagnosis. And it turned out to be a breast cancer. So what do you think is the message for the young women out there if they have a breast abnormality? I, I agree with you. I've seen those young patients that have had delays in their treatment because they felt that they were too young to have cancer and they said just follow up in six months. So if any a patient has a palpable lump, 
uh, I will recommend images. And if it's still, they have the palpable lump, they should be referred to a breast surgeon who can further assess and, and decide if the patient needs a biopsy that most likely will need. And then also what I've learned over time is that it's important for us to educate the community at large, you know, the family practitioners, the um, the gynecologists who are sometimes the first line when they see these patients on the importance of doing the appropriate workup and not just disregard it because of the patient's age. Because even though it's not that common, as we've talked about for the past few minutes, you know, young women with breast cancers is in the rise and they need to be properly worked up. Yes, you're right. So I think the importance is that yeah, breast cancer can occur in very young patients, even in their 20s. Um, it's important to manage them with a multidisciplinary approach. Uh, there are some uh, concerns of younger patients that we don't see in older patients, so we need to address them. And then many of these patients will be survivors, and we'll, we have the survivorship as service, and it's important to discuss what to do after the diagnosis and make sure they go back to their regular lives and eat healthy and exercise because all those things have also shown to decrease recurrence in everyone. Any other comments, Jane? No, I'd like to thank everybody for being a part of this podcast today. And as Anna said here, Miami Cancer Institute, we really want to approach these patients in a holistic approach from beginning to end. And if you have questions, we're happy to answer them and serve our community. Thank you all for your attention. To find out more about the topics covered on the Doc to Doc podcast, please visit physicianresources.baptisthealth.net.